The views and opinions reflected in any of the stories narrated are solely those of the story contributor and are not necessarily that of the Nightmare Society. This podcast features adult content, so listener discretion is highly advised. And if you or anyone you know is struggling, help is available. Please see the resources in the show notes. Hello again, Nightmare Society, and welcome to another episode of True Horror Stories. I know it's been a little while, but life has been dealing some blows as it does. So, for the next little bit, it may be a little erratic with the episodes. I hope you can bear with us, but we'll be putting them out as we have the ability to. Now, get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. This happened when I was 15, near Algonquin Park. My father and I were driving up to our cottage in the middle of winter. I always was so amazed at the beauty of Algonquin Park and Muskoka, and had grown up enjoying the beauty of it every summer. Our cottage was on a large lake, about a 30-minute drive from the nearest town. There were probably thousands of cottages on the lake. During this summer, the lake and the town's population tripled. It was cottage country, so people would spend all summer enjoying the lake and warm nights around campfires with family and friends. I spent every summer there growing up, and it still brings fond memories of sunshine and laughter and the sound of motorboats on the lake. But the winters were different. The people that didn't live there all year round would venture back home to the city life leaving the area mostly deserted, with cottages boarded up for the winter. There were a few people that still frequently would come up every couple of months for a few days or so, but for the most part, the lake was silent during the winters, and the town was just filled with locals. The beautiful pine trees are always covered with snow, making the forest quiet. Our cottage was on a dead-end road. There were about 20 other cottages on the road, with ours being somewhat in the middle. The cottages were quite spaced out, however, with our closest neighbors being too far away to see through the trees. My dad had needed to head up to the cottage to do some painting that my mom had been bugging him to do. It was at the end of February and it was a long weekend, so I tagged along so he wouldn't have to be alone and we could spend some quality time together. It was about a five-hour drive from our home, but turned out to be an eight-hour drive due to the heavy snow. It had gotten dark out quite early, and it was around midnight as we drove through Algonquin Park. It was deadly quiet and pitch black, except for the headlights of the car. We finally passed through the park with only about 30 minutes left to get to the cottage. It had stopped snowing, and we were both eager to get there. As we turned onto the familiar road, I remember my dad cursing. It had not been plowed yet. This wasn't surprising, however. It probably wouldn't be until later the next day that we would even see a snow plow. As we drove down the road, I noticed there was a fresh set of tire tracks. My dad said the Smiths must be up for the weekend. 
All of a sudden, as we drove around the bend, following the tire tracks, the headlights of the car shone on a white van that was parked on the side of the road. It was almost hidden by the vast trees that were covered with snow. What in the... My dad mumbled. As we drove past the white van, I remember looking back through the back window and very clearly seeing two figures in the front seat, illuminated by our retreating taillights. I told my dad this, and he shrugged. Maybe they're lost. I nodded, but I couldn't help to think about it was a dead-end road and why they would feel the need to park there. As we pulled into our driveway and started to bring our stuff in, I couldn't shake the feeling that something wasn't right. I couldn't stop thinking about that van and why it was there, with two people just sitting in the dark in the middle of the night. It spooked me so much that I begged my dad to let me sleep upstairs with him, instead of sleeping downstairs in the room my sister and I usually shared. It had big windows with no blinds that looked onto the blackness of the forest, and my 15-year-old self was already scared of the dark, even without seeing the white van. It wasn't a big deal when my sister was there, but not tonight. As my dad got ready for bed, I sat in the living room reading a book. My dad had turned all the lights off, and I was just using a small lamp next to the couch to try and get through one last chapter before bed. It was so quiet I could almost hear my ears ringing. I also started to get the feeling that I was being watched. The living room also had large windows with no curtains that overlooked the lake and it was black except for a light or two from the cottages across the lake. I shut off the lamp and got up. Now that the cottage was dark, the moon was shining brightly, illuminating the snow. It was beautiful and I walked towards the window to get a better look. Movement caught my eye and I remember my heart dropping as I saw two figures down by the back porch, below the window, barely hidden by the surrounding trees. I dropped to the floor and crawled towards the bedroom where my dad was sleeping, my heart in my throat. I wasn't sure if they had seen me or not. I woke my dad up, and by the time he got to the window, the two figures were gone. Where I had seen the figures, two sets of footprints in the snow led back to the front of the cottage, and back down the driveway. I begged my dad not to go outside. He double-checked the locks and turned on the porch lights, hopefully to scare anyone off. My dad wasn't as freaked out as I was, but still set the alarm before he headed back to bed. I remember being very freaked out, and I lay there all night next to my dad. Terrified, I'd look out the window and see someone staring back at me. The next morning, my dad went outside and confirmed that there were two sets of footprints leading from the road, two behind our cottage, and then back around to the front of the cottage and back up the road. There were tire marks that showed the vehicle had turned around and then gone back up to the main road. My dad guessed that they were probably looking to break in and steal stuff as it was the middle of winter and not too many people were up at the lake. But they knew that we were there they would have seen our tire tracks leading to our cottage and my dad's car parked out front. They also may have seen the lamp I had turned on to read and or seeing it go off. My dad didn't have an answer to that and after much back and forth, he called the non-emergency line and reported it. Apparently there had been some break-ins in the area and some stuff had been stolen from cottages that were boarded up for the winter. But again, I still wonder to this day Why would they be interested in stealing from a house that clearly has people inside of it? 
was camping with my wife and son and we decided to go for a hike. We walked probably less than a mile and came across a small trail leading to a kind of small boggy pond in the rainforest. It was a misty day with light rain. The pond was darkened by tall trees hanging with moss. We were going to venture in there as it was pretty but somewhat creepy. We probably spent two minutes navigating our way over and under some downed trees when my wife said, We need to leave now. I asked what was up and she just felt very uneasy, like something bad was present there. I said, honey, if you feel that uneasy, then let's go. Her intuition has served her and us well in the past, so I was trusting her instinct. It didn't hurt to simply leave either. We made our way back to camp and drove home the next evening. When we arrived home, we saw the local news story of two women killed just two miles up the trail the day after we were hiking there. Did my wife had sensed a killer or some other thing? If we had stayed, would we have come out alive? The case is still unsolved. The article provided by the person who posted this will be provided in the show notes. coming to an end. Family and friends were slowly starting to depart as me and my wife Diana took pictures and chatted with some of the guests who stayed a little longer and we were just having a good time. It was a great day and a lot of fond memories were made but what was least expected was what happened that night as we were on our way to our honeymoon. As me and Diana said goodbye to the last of our guests at 9pm we got into the car and headed home. We had our bags packed prior to the wedding day for Cancun, and we were ready to go. I live in Washington, and we were in a bit of a hurry because instead of flying out from Seattle Airport in a SeaTac like people normally do, it was a lot cheaper for us to drive up north to Canada and fly out from a Canadian airport. Also, we thought that it'd be fun to do a little road trip to Canada and then fly out from Canada to Cancun. Plus, it was only a three and a half hour drive for us and cheaper, so we headed out at about 12 a.m. in the morning. We had a great time driving, blasting music, talking about Cancun, and just being excited about the new chapter in our life. Diana slowly started to fall asleep, being exhausted from the wedding and whatnot. We were halfway to Canada at this point, and we were no longer in the city area, but more of a wooded area with fewer cars and fewer people. The more we drove, practically seeing no one on the road. By that time, it was around 3 a.m. We had some extra time on our hands and I was starting to fall asleep too, so I pulled over to a gas station to get some Red Bull to keep me awake. I parked the car and noticed that Diana was asleep. I told her I'm taking the keys and locking her inside and that I would be right back. I wasn't sure if she could hear me, but she kind of motioned her hand around like people normally do when they're too tired to care. I came back around six minutes later to find my wife shaking and crying. I was confused, freaking out a bit because I wasn't sure why she was crying. She couldn't even get the words out at first. Later, once she calmed down, she told me this. Apparently, she did hear me when I told her I would take the keys and be right back. And as she was sleeping, she was awoken by a tapping on the driver's side window. 
Being too tired to get up or even open her eyes, she lazily went to unlock the button on the passenger side of the door. As she was going for it, she froze. A thought passed her mind. Then she remembered. Didn't he say he had the keys? Why would he need me to unlock the door for him? That's when she heard a woman's voice mumbling from the driver's side. She turned herself around to look at the window and saw a woman. Long black hair with wide eyes and a crooked smile on her face. She couldn't hear what she was saying at first, but then she did hear what she was saying. She kept repeating in a mumbled tone. Are you tired? Are you tired? Are you tired? Are you tired? She freaked out and then told the woman to leave her alone. The woman laughed and told my wife that she was tired too. The woman never took her eyes off of her and then she tried the door handle. At this point, my wife was too close to tears and attempted to call me, but as she did, she heard what sounded like a phone buzz and realized I left my phone in the car. Out of options, my wife started to honk the horn trying to scare off the woman while also maybe getting my attention. The woman still had her gaze on her and started mumbling more while laughing and trying the door handle again. Then she mentioned something about someone named Sarah and asked my wife if she knew her. After a few more minutes of mumbling, she left. Apparently, the minute the lady left, I came out of the gas station, so my wife broke down. I don't know how I didn't hear the honking of the car, and I still feel bad for leaving my phone in the car. My wife also added that the one of the creepier things about the woman is she didn't look homeless or dirty or anything. In fact, she seemed normal and well-kept. My wife said she'll never forget the woman's wide eyes and the gaze she had on her with that smile. It also chills me to think what would happen if my wife never realized that I had the keys or if she never heard me about locking her inside and opened the door while facing the other way. I don't know what the woman's intentions were, but if I couldn't hear the honk of a horn, I'm not sure I would hear her screams. To this day, I'm thankful I have a good habit of locking doors, and I would recommend it no matter how long you think you're going to be gone. This night started in the city, but ended in the deep woods. I'm originally from the northeast, but couldn't stand the winters, so I went south for college. I was enrolled in my first year of university in the southern part of the U.S. The university was in a small city town, and going out to drink was the main thing everyone did. I was out with some other guys playing pool at a small dive bar. An older guy came up, started talking to us, and asked if he could get in on a game. I'll refer to him as Brian. When I was 22 then, he did look a bit older, but probably just in his late 30s. We played a few games and he commented about a bonfire party happening outside of town. He mentioned there were some girls he worked with hosting it and asked if we wanted to go. My friends declined, but I was single, so I said sure. As we left the parking lot in his truck... He said we needed to swing by his apartment and grab some liquor. This is when things go weird. I remember getting in the car, pulling out of the parking lot, and then pulling up to an apartment complex on the outskirts of town. The bar was in the downtown area, and we were far away now, on the outskirts of town. I wondered if I nodded off on the ride because I don't remember the drive. I started questioning myself when he said he would go inside, get the booze, take a shower, and change his clothes. He offered for me to come inside too. 
The inside of his apartment was empty. No furniture. Nothing is hanging on the walls. Just open and empty rooms. He didn't say anything about it, so I asked if he had just moved in. He said yeah, and walked back to the bathroom without saying anything else. I thought about just leaving when I heard him get in the shower. Something about the situation was starting to creep me out. I was sizing him up in my head and thought I could take him if some weird stuff went down. I remembered him mentioning the girls and the bonfire, so I decided to hang around and see where the night went. The shower stopped, and he walked out wearing different clothes a few minutes later. He had two bottles of whiskey, and he just looked at me and said, Ready? We jumped back in the truck and pulled out. I made a conscious effort to stay awake and alert. We left the city limits and headed outside of town on a dark back road. We were still on a main road, but we were far from town now, and the closest city I knew of was an hour away in the opposite direction. There were fewer and fewer houses as we drove, and the places I could see looked like decrepit old shacks. I had lived here for a couple of months, but had never been out this way. We drove for a while, and I asked a few times if he knew where he was going. This was the middle of nowhere now. I didn't see any houses, and it was just thick woods on each side of the road. I didn't see him reading off any directions or anything. I saw a small parking lot with a gas station and a turnoff. A lone street light lit the gas station. Only two pumps, and they looked ancient. A red neon sign said 24 hours. The building was a double-wide trailer converted into a store. We turned off onto the side street and kept driving. This road was even worse than the main road we were just on. There were no street lights, and it was very narrow. It twisted and turned, just snaking through the woods. No houses were visible, but I would see a very old mailbox every once in a while. We came to the top of a hill, and then there was a driveway. I asked again if he knew where he was going, and he just chuckled. I was in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by woods, with some dude I didn't know. Fear started to creep in. It wasn't at a house. It looked more like a garage or industrial building. There were no lights inside or around it. No motion lights as we drove up. No other cars or people. Where was the bonfire? I made my tone as direct as possible. He just said back through the woods. We drove past the building around the back towards the woods. As we got closer, I could see it was a small path. As we went through, branches scraped along the truck's side. After what seemed like forever, the trail opened into a clearing, and I could see a few other trucks and people. Relief washed over me. I grew up in the city and wasn't used to crap like this, and I started to think I was just being uptight and needed to chill out. It was past midnight and we left the bar around 10, so it felt good to get out of the truck. I scanned the group, but could only see a few girls. A couple of guys were building a fire and trying to get it going. There were maybe 25 or 30 people there. A guy who was introduced as Mike walked up to us to greet Brian, but he was staring at me the whole time. He never once stopped staring at me. Brian said he needed to go use the restroom and walked off, and Mike asked if I wanted a beer. He said to hang tight and walked away. Mike came back and handed me an open bottle. I said thanks and started to make small talk, but he just turned and walked away. 
I started to look around and something just seemed off. There was no music playing, no lights, no liveliness to the conversations. The people at this party seemed diverse in age and I wondered how everyone knew each other. No one was talking. They were just all standing together in groups and mumbling. Each time I approached a group of people, they would all stop talking and stare at me. It was standoffish and uncomfortable. I found myself standing alone and just looking around for Brian. I couldn't see him anywhere. I looked around for his truck, but I didn't see it. I was ready to go. I had had enough of this weird atmosphere. I kept scanning around looking for his truck, but it wasn't there. I didn't hear any vehicles start up or come and go while I was walking around. I turned back towards the bonfire and saw everyone looking at me, together. All thirty or so people were now in one grouping, and they just stood there. No talking, no movement. They were just standing there completely still and just staring at me. The bonfire glowed behind the group, making the moment feel surreal. I stood there awkwardly and started noticing that their faces were changing. Their expressions rapidly changed from smiling to frowning, to mouths and eyes wide open, snarling and grimacing. But as I focused on one to see if that was really happening, the face would appear blank and expressionless. Suddenly, one of the men started walking toward me at a deliberate pace. I turned and just ran. I ran up the path and out of the clearing as fast as I could. My adrenaline was surging and I kept running. I couldn't hear anyone coming up behind me or any vehicles, but I knew I couldn't stop and needed to put as much distance as possible between them and me. I started to panic as the trail broke off and went different ways. I didn't remember that from driving in, but I kept running. Finally, I saw the building through the trees and felt some relief. I stopped just before the edge of the trail. It was late fall and brisk, but I was burning up. I was wearing a flannel and jeans with boots. Not very good for running. I was sweating like a pig and needed to catch my breath. I couldn't hear anyone coming up behind me on the path or hear any vehicles in the distance. The light from the bonfire wasn't visible anymore through the thick woods. As I crossed the lot and passed into the industrial building toward the paved road, lights came on inside. A second wind of adrenaline took hold and I ran towards the paved road and kept running. My feet felt like lead and my legs burned, but I kept running as long as possible. I finally got tired and moved off the paved road into the brush to hide and catch my breath. I didn't see any headlights, so I went back to the side of the road and began jogging. I was on high alert and kept glancing behind me, but I never saw anything. I finally reached the end of the road which connected back to the main road and the gas station. I went inside and an old guy sat at the counter watching a small TV. He asked if I was alright and I said I needed to use a phone. He laughed and said where did you come from? I told him that I was a party and that I had gotten ditched. He laughed and gestured toward the phone on the wall. I could see he had a gun on his hip and I probably thought I was a tweaker to come rob him. There was a phone book by the phone and I called a taxi to pick me up. An hour later, I was back in my dorm and went to sleep. I never saw Brian again. I drove past his apartment complex but never saw his truck parked there. I never saw it around town or back at the bar either. 
I remember it was an off-white single cab Chevy, late 80s model with a skull sticker on the back window with Roman numerals on the forehead. My curiosity got the best of me a few times and I drove toward the small gas station. I followed the road to where the shop was and found it. I drove out a couple of times and each time there was no one there and no cars in the lot. The building looked even crappier in the daytime. I left and drove back to town. This happened in the fall of 2004, and even now I still get creeped out by it. So Brian, let's not meet again. So a little bit of background. I'm from Spain, my family from Italy. This story is 100% true. Me, my dad, and my brother are all three familiar with camping, nature, etc. We don't get scared easily and we aren't really superstitious or whatever. Also, excuse me for any grammatical errors I might make in this. English is not my first language. This happened in 2010, I believe. I was about eight years old then and we were on summer vacation in Italy in the region of Tuscany where some of our family is from. My brother, dad, and I were hiking in the country far, far away from any towns or any other form of big civilization. We were not very familiar with this route, though. All of a sudden, we stumble across what looks like an abandoned Tuscan farmhouse. Not very big, though. We all look around and yell, asking whether there was someone. It looked really abandoned. The door was missing. Plants are all growing all over the place safe to say no one lived there. So since we love adventure and it didn't seem like a bad plan to do with two children, we decide to take a look at the place. As we are going to enter the house, out of nowhere comes a barn owl flying out of the house. It was dark in there. So we had a quick scare, but nothing too bad. It's just an owl, right? Now we enter the house, and we just find the typical stuff you would imagine to find when you're in an abandoned house. Cutlery and plates on the ground, a candle, some old paintings. Nothing really valuable, though. Now we see an old wooden ladder that leads up to a hole in the ceiling. It's not a very big hole. My dad couldn't fit into it to give you an idea. He's like 6'2". So since I was the oldest of the two kids, I went up there and I would tell them what I saw. Now, I got up the ladder and I was in a room where I could barely see because the windows were covered with wooden boards. So I could make out some stuff by a few sun rays that would get in through the gaps of the boards. I could see graffiti signs and I saw another room, so I told my dad and brother that I would advance to there and see what was up. As I opened the rotten wooden door, I immediately stopped. A disgusting, rotten smell penetrated my nose. I almost had to throw up. I wanted to know what caused this bad smell. Then, in the corner of the room, I could make out a silhouette. I got closer to investigate what it could be, and I could barely make out that it was the lifeless body of an animal. A pretty large animal. And the body was skinned. No fur. Nothing. Just pure rotting flesh in the shape of this large animal. 
I don't remember how long I just stood there frozen, but I woke up from my shock with the screams of my brother because apparently the barn owl had gotten back inside the house and it almost hit him. But my dad yelled at me to come back and I gladly went. When I got back downstairs, I told him what I'd seen and the look he gave me was that of a man who is scared to death but doesn't want to admit it in order not to scare his young kids. He just got close to my ear and whispered to run. We ran out of that place and we never went back. We never even went close to the route leading to it. And I'm sure we will never go back there again. And as usual, thanks so much for listening. And until next time. Shoot, 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 shoot.